As we continue worshiping together today, you may turn in your favorite Bible app or the Pew Bible and receive this reading from the book of Exodus from verse 32, chapter 32, verses 1 through 4 and 7 through 10. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Some might call this my swan song as the uh, acting senior pastor here at Foundry. But I really haven't been here that long. So we'll just call it my duck song. <laughs> I'm overwhelmingly grateful for this journey that I have taken with you. While Ginger's been away on renewal leave, the thing that makes a trip fun is your traveling companions. And you've been wonderful traveling companions. You have a staff here that its teamwork has left me speechless time and time again. You're fortunate to have them. And yes, it's flown by too quickly. The other day I was driving to the church and I was thinking about how much I was going to miss you and I noticed the construction truck in front of me and on the license plate it said semi-permanent. And I thought, isn't that the truth? It could almost go without saying. If anything life has taught us, it is that we're all semi-permanent. The secret to life is to celebrate the semi-permanent. In Michael Christopher's play, The Shadow Box, 
there is a powerful litany which is repeated during the play. The setting is a hospice compound, and since everybody knows that they're terminally ill, every conversation is profoundly important. And at some point during the play, he has every character say, someone should have said this a long time ago. When we were young, this life, this lifetime, it doesn't last forever. This face, these hands, this word, these things you love, this smile, this pain, it doesn't last forever. It was never supposed to last forever. Often we wish life had no limits, that life and relationships went on endlessly, but that might not be the paradise we imagine it to be. One of the hardest lessons that life teaches us is that it is in the limits of life that we often find its greatest richness and meaning. In our hearts, we like to think of God as one who removes obstacles and overcomes difficulties so that we can have stability and permanence. But the God who meets us in the pages of the Bible is a rather annoying God who condemns the grasp for permanence and promotes change. Today's lesson from the 32nd chapter of Exodus finds Moses, who has gone up to Mount Sinai to talk to God, but he stays so long that people get restless. They wonder if he'll ever return. Now, Moses was not only their contact with God, but the only stability in their lives in the transition from Egypt to the wilderness. They got to where they simply couldn't live any longer in a state of flux and uncertainty. They had to do something to get permanence in their life. So they collected all of their jewel, jewelry, their gold jewelry, and had Aaron make it into a golden calf, something they could see and touch and say, this is our God. But when Moses comes down from the mountain, he is furious. He not only destroys the golden calf, he pulverizes it and makes them add it to their drinking water. But more importantly, he replaces the golden calf with a tent of all things, the tent of meeting. The tent was not an image of God, but it wasn't greatly unlike our churches today in that it was a place where one could, do, could go with the hope that God would show up on a regular basis and meet us. But what kind of God would replace a permanent and secure statue as an inspiration for worship with a flimsy tent? A tent 
is the epitome of transient living. It's made to be picked up and moved constantly. The God of the Bible is a God of the tent, running ahead of God's people, keeping them from getting too comfortable, calling them to be the people on the move, responding not to yesterday's will of God, but to today's will of God. And that is why the house meetings, the the Foundry Board and Ginger have planned that will take place this summer and into the fall, are so important. Because not only will that be a time to ask the question, who are we, and who are our neighbors, but also to ask, what is God calling us as a community of faith to do? What is God's will for us today, now? From his prison cell, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote to an older couple who had lost their son in death during the war. He said, nothing can make up for the absence of someone we love. It's nonsense to say that God fills the gap. God does not fill it. But on the contrary, God keeps it empty and in so doing helps us keep alive our former communion with each other, even at the cost of pain. Now that's a hard word, but it's an authentic word. And that's why it is so important as we slip in and out of each other's life to go through the pain of saying goodbye. Because a person of faith, goodbye really means God be with you. And that's the only promise the gospel makes for us, is that God who goes out ahead of us will meet us there and be with us, and that finally, nothing can separate us from the God who loves us. That promise hints at another dimension of life. It hints at that mysterious dimension of life and love that transcends the limits of life. We brush up against it at those times when we realize that life is measured by its depth, not by its length or duration. Have you ever noticed how brief Jesus' encounters are with the people in the gospel stories? It's a healing, it's an exorcism, it's an argument, a question and answer, a conversation on the road. All of them, so brief, entirely too short. But almost all of them were life-changing because in that brief moment, there is a connection at the deepest level where the ultimate is touched. When I was growing up, when the long, hot summer days began, every evening we would woof down our suppers as fast as we could to get back outside to play. All the kids in the neighborhood showed up for the running games, which we began with, you know, kick the can, hide and go seek. 
But as the light began to fade and we were embraced by the growing darkness, signaling a different rhythm to things, our games would slow down. We would eventually gather on the steps of the church on the corner to gossip and joke until our talk slowed down as well. The talk turned soft, and with it, we shared fantasies, fantasies about what we'd be someday, and what we'd do, and where, and how, and with whom. And we would wait for the voice of our parents calling us to come in. We would resist the first call and the second call, waiting for the edge in our parents' voices or using our first and middle name, and we knew they meant business. But in the meantime, there was a special feeling a certain spirit that gentled and lowered the barriers between boys and girls, older and younger, poor and poorer, bright and not so bright. As we shyly spoke together of wondrous things. In that church-saturated culture, we even attempted to speak of the holy, our version of ultimate reality. My theology has changed since those days, but what I have kept from those smudged-faced, scratched-legged, buddied gatherings is the need for a tent of meeting a need for church as a place where we let down our defenses and dare to share who we really are and what we dream of at our deepest level, a place where our defenses drop away and, and we dare to speak our truth and we dare to listen to other people's truth. I've always remembered with gratitude those times in the North Carolina summers, but I don't think I fully appreciated them until I read that John Updike wrote that the great artists are those who almost defiantly keep playing after dark. And I find that to be such an inviting image. The, the ones who keep playing after dark, the ones where only the eye can see and only the heart can see, those are the ones that create something that helps us break through from our rutted realities and allows us to touch one another in our deepest places as it is with musicians and poets and painters, so it is with us who really are artists in life. Fantasy is the dancing partner of faith. Imagination is the beginning of transformation. 
It is that assurance which gives me the courage to dare to say to you, goodbye. God be with you. And never, never stop playing after dark. Amen. Amen.